Hello, my name is Nicholas McInerney. I'm a playwright and lecturer. Ten years ago, I came out. I had been married for nearly 20 years and had two daughters. It was both terrifying and exhilarating. I was about to set out on a journey from one world to another, where I was to reinvent myself or maybe to find out finally who I really was. I decided for the first time in my life to keep a diary. I wrote furiously, without censoring myself, straight from the heart. Ten years on, I want to invite you to come on that journey with me again. Each of these podcasts will include diary entries and a discussion all about our shared experiences coming out as gay and bisexual men, dads, husbands and partners. Of course, we understand that reliving the past can inevitably bring up conflicting feelings of distress and pain for children and former partners. This is clearly not our intention. We also understand that personal memories are often disputed. We take responsibility for any factual inaccuracies. Names have also been changed throughout. Despite all this, we hope and believe that Rainbow Dads makes an important contribution to a healing process of understanding and self-acceptance. And by sharing our lives, we hope to include yours. Thank you. It's all good when we're back popping. That's it, I'm sex, so good, bitch, chart topping. You've been to plenty corners of the world. Still will find yourself right now. The 3rd of April, 2008. At that moment, all that seemed to matter, that had ever mattered, was to love and be loved back. The question is now, the big challenge, is how to move forward. How to turn this amazing and beautiful and loving experience into something more sustainable and realised? Is it possible? Am I fooling myself? Hello and welcome again to Rainbow Dads, where gay and bisexual dads talk about their stories uh, and uh, hopefully share some of the wealth of their experience and impressions uh, and the things that we've learned over this long journey. Um, I've called this session Breaking with the Past. That sounds a bit negative. I actually want to think about looking forward in a more positive light. And it's interesting I chose those words because I think one of the themes that has uh, been going throughout this series has been you know, that kind of seesaw, hasn't it, between the, the incredibly positive aspect of finding yourself, being authentic, that's a word that's used a lot, being true to yourself, but also the huge consequences of doing that, particularly uh, when there are partners and wives and children involved. But what I'd like to do is, is, is basically kind of bring it a little bit more up to date, really, and talk a little bit about, about where you're at now, uh, and and also about the things that we need to do to heal, yes? 
we all have a responsibility to heal ourselves. You know, we can talk a bit about the responsibility we feel to heal others. But I think it will be really nice to start off with a sense of, of where we're at now and, and how we look back at, at that whole incredible journey. And David, I'm going to start with you, please. Um, so where I am now is <clears throat> in a place of discovery, discovering who I am, um, challenging myself to do different things, to put myself out there. Uh, and um, I think we discussed in the last podcast about being brave. Uh, yes. And so that's what I'm doing, being brave, I think. And uh, you're I'm doing it right be, now. I'm right doing it here. now. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, so that's where I am at, discovering who I am and being happy at who I am. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think, I think the message that I would... Uh, give out to anyone who's listening to this is that uh, it is it is a tough road um, that we travel um, but I am glad I'm me now uh, and I don't think I ever have been true to myself perhaps. Um, you had a wonderful description in an earlier podcast you talked about feeling lost. Yes. Uh, and again, I think that's something that we can relate to. But now it sounds like you are at that place where you really are yeah. finding, finding yeah, yourself. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. the little boy who was lost somewhere deep inside me has perhaps started to find where he belongs in the world. Um, right. And I feel safe and happy and secure. And, uh, and yeah. It's a tough road, but I think, you know, you get there eventually. And let me ask you a question. Do you think you, being feeling safe enabled you to write the book that you've written? Or do you think the book created that safe space for you? I think the uh, book, uh, Gay Dad, that I wrote was part of the process of becoming able to be in a safe space, if you like. It was my therapy, definitely. Um, hearing other guys' stories, the 10 other guys who participated in the book, uh, helped me uh, in my own journey, if you like. It was my therapy. Um, so, yeah, it's part of the process. And I think coming out is not, as we've discussed before, it's not something that happens one day and then suddenly, you know, poof, I'm here. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> Very it's appropriate. Not, it's, it's not like it doesn't yeah. appear. It's not yeah. like that. It, you know, the real world is that it, it, it takes time and every day is another coming out story uh, and people you meet you have to decide whether to tell them whether you tell people at work whether you tell family who which friends do you tell you how do you make that decision it's, you're absolutely right you'll continue i sometimes feel i want a card that i can give out to people to kind of cover these sort of essentials about myself so that i can don't have to yeah, how do you make that decision it's about? such a peculiarity of being gay because if you were heterosexual you don't walk into a room Absolutely. and tell everyone do you know what I'm heterosexual mm -hmm. you don't have to do it and yet there is the perception that if you don't do it and and people find out or you then tell them there's a sort of perhaps well you should have told me before or why mm. didn't you say before but then of course they don't know the struggle that we go through every day all the time um I'm not out at work. I'd have no reason to tell the people at work, their work colleagues, uh, 
they're friends, but not close friends. So, but then I have to face, what do I say when there's conversations that are a bit homophobic or a bit near and, the mark? Do, you, do I stand up and do I, do I yeah. say my piece? And I do. I do. Good for you. But the, we were, they were having a conversation the other day about the um, Sultan of Brunei and, and the stoning to death laws that they've uh, recently brought in and whether people should be demonstrating outside the Dorchester Hotel. And they were saying, well, of course, the only people that that will affect is the employees of the hotel. It won't affect the Sultan of Brunei and it won't help gay people in in Brunei. Um, so I had to say, well, it's, it's the point of making a protest and making a stand and saying that we don't agree with this. Do we? Oh, no. No, we don't agree with it. But, mm. you know, there is this underlying homophobia I think in, in in just general conversation and general banter that goes on. And do you feel it, when you don't respond to that do you feel a bit, do you feel less of yes. yourself? Do you feel like feel, you go out and go shit I wish I said I sh- something. Yes I do I do now yeah. and I think not so long ago I probably wouldn't have because you know uh, I was hiding I was still closeted but now I do feel uh, yes I must say something I must stand up and say something like I must be here talking about you know, my experience uh, yeah. of being a gay dad and talking about, you know, the book and whatever, um, because I am able to do that. And so many people in so many other societies can't do that. So I, I do feel an obligation to do that. And have you had any experience with your children where you had to kind of step in and deal with, you know, have your children ever come back from school talking about homophobic comments or has there ever, ever been anything where you felt you've had to mm. manage um, well, I had a very interesting conversation with my youngest son uh, a week or so ago, actually, because he, he's got in his class, he's in sixth form college, very small class sizes. And then there's one boy who uh, is gender fluid and some days he wants to be known as a girl and some days he wants to be known as a boy. And my son was having difficulty in not knowing how to react to this situation so we had a long conversation about gender identity and fluidity and such like so it's quite interesting because a conversation like that with my own father just would never have happened oh my god tell me about it absolutely not even now you know I wouldn't talk to my father about things like that but um, I think there doesn't seem to be any uh, uh, homophobia that goes on in the school that he goes to it might be low level and it might be, you know, oh, you're so gay. Yes. In yeah. derogatory yeah. terms. Um, but he hasn't come back and said to me anything like that. But it is strange having conversations about gender and sexuality with your children. But you're able to give that perspective to them. It must feel, must feel quite empowering. It does. It feels good to be able to talk openly about these things now yeah. um, uh, because had that conversation come up you know three or four years ago it would have been well you know I've got to be careful what I say here I've got to you know be guarded um, but now I can be completely open and, and say it as it is yes I think that the idea of feeling guarded checking yourself and panty yeah. bliss is wonderful description at uh, that amazing speech at the um, Abbey Theatre in Dublin when she talks about as gay people we check ourselves mm. you know is really Powerful, and it's a form of internalised homophobia, of course, because you're all already you're kind of observing yourself and thinking, actually, I mustn't say anything because, because, mm, because. Mm. Arnett, where are you now? And mm. and and 
and what healing has taken place? Well, I really reached a place of real acceptance of who I am as a gay man. And uh, I'm much clearer now about how I relate to my, my ex-partner. And I feel that whilst we haven't resolved everything, I feel that there is uh, a very clear base understanding. Can you talk a bit more about that? I think that's really important because mm. I think a lot of people will be listening to this thinking, how on earth do I get to that place mm. where we can have the right and necessary conversations about, say, looking after the children, mm -hmm. but also there's a respect for yeah. lines or boundaries. I'd be really interested yeah. to, to hear your views on that. It's It's been a very difficult journey of, of nine years with, with my ex-partner um, um, because fundamentally we both cared about each other. And uh, throughout all of this, we've both had concern and love and care for the emotional state of each other. Um, for a long time, I would express that and we would be having conversations and I would say things, yeah, I, I do still love you. I do still care about you. But those conversations are confusing. When, are confusing yes. when you want this person in your life still and you, so, so, so my, so my ex-partner would, would always say, okay, I accept the fact that you're gay, but can't we stay together? Why do we have to break all this up? And for me, it was a no-brainer. I had to step out because I couldn't live my life in the way that I needed to. But at the same time, I felt that she wouldn't be able to have the opportunity to step into a relationship with a man who would really value her as a woman yes as well and that's and, the guilt there's the guilt and i couldn't yeah. give her that yeah i i knew that i couldn't give her that um so you know it for me it felt very clear to be able to step outside of this relationship but in hindsight looking back i'm not clear how clear my messages were to her. Do you think that's always going to be a problem of human communication? I you think know, it's we, a we, problem. We hear what we want yeah. to hear, don't we? Yeah, the absolutely. And I, think, I think particularly in intimate relationships, particularly where so both of you describe, you're describing women that you still have very strong yeah. feelings for, as mm. indeed uh, I, I did for my uh, ex-wife. Um, and on one level, full of compassion yeah. and love. You know, love for that person, but compassion for the situation that they were put in through no fault here we go there's a judgment there for no uh, yeah. design of their own it, it, it absolutely wasn't her fault that this happened and yes relationships break down for all sorts of mm. reasons mm. and the point that i made in one of our conversations was a relationship is about two people wanting to be in that relationship together and it doesn't matter what the reason is. If one person no longer wants to be in that relationship, then actually that relationship isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And so that was the the baseline for me in that. And, and, and actually once I'd actually reached that point of clarity in my own thinking, I think I became much clearer in terms of how I approached her. But yeah, 
another big milestone was was the point I spoke earlier about when my boyfriend first came down. And I can remember, even though he was coming down to stay in my house, how angry and upset my ex-partner was that I should be bringing my boyfriend to to the place where we live into into, into what was a space our was, family exactly. life yeah. and yeah and that created a huge argument and a tension um i say that relationship finished I, I have another wonderful boyfriend now that i've been together you know four years and and actually it it's amazing because we we've reached a place now where we can all sit down together with my ex-partner and we can have dinner together, we can do things together. Last year we actually had Christmas dinner together. Um, now I never ever thought that that would ever happen. Mm. I, yeah, I, at the point at which I left the relationship, the thought that actually one day I could be sitting down with my children, with my ex and my boyfriend to have Christmas dinner together and we could do that. So was there anything particular that enabled that to happen? I mean, time, we talk about time healing, and I think the, 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 the test time continues. Obviously, people reassess, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There's an iron in all of this, in, the, in certain respects, in the experience that, that we've all been through, one of the things it taught me was humility. You know, um, Buddha says that there is no, no knowledge without suffering. You learn nothing without suffering, and it's very true. And I think the suffering that I... I was responsible for the suffering that I quoted for my ex-wife and for my children, but also the suffering that I was going through. But through that, in a funny sort of way, I became a better man for it, as indeed listening to you, Anna, I can feel the sense that actually you become more compassionate, more understanding, better able to to empathise, all of those things. And that's one of the ironies is that in the process of actually separating, in some respects, you're becoming a more complete person, as indeed maybe your partner was yeah. as well. Well, one of the things my, my ex used to say to me is that she, she needed me to acknowledge that she was hurt and... And it's interesting because I felt that I had done that, but what, is, I, what kind of what does she mean by knowledge? She she wanted to hear from me in some way, or in, in some way she wanted me to acknowledge through my behaviour or through my words that I'd hurt her through this. Did she process. want you to ask her for forgiveness? I I I, I don't know. I mean, and I won't put words into her. No, no, mouth. no absolutely. Um, this is interesting because. This is the line, in a sense, asking forgiveness for being whom mm. I am. And I think that was, I think I was in the situation yeah. where I felt that my ex wife wanted me yeah. to ask her for forgiveness. And I said, actually, no, I can't do that. Yeah. I, and I can ask for forgiveness for the to hurt, but if you're asking me to kind of apologize for who exactly. I am, I can't and do that. That's you, exactly that's unreasonable. And I, and I did have that conversation okay. Okay. Um, about, yeah, I, I can't apologize for who I am for what I am for what's happened yeah and we can only move forward and I can only keep stating I understand this hurts you um and as I say we've worked through that you you know you're asking about what it was that made it possible for us to come together yes and I yeah there are lots of factors in that um one of the factors was 
was about my partner, my, my current partner, my boyfriend now, and about his willingness to embrace the complexity of the situation um, and, and also the fact that it became really evident that he cared about the children and you know, th there, there were moments where you know, there were very difficult moments happening f in my children's life and I think my, my ex, you know, their mother really started to recognise that my partner now was doing things to actively help and support them mm. and that she could see that my children were in a relationship with him. Mm. They cared about him and he cared about them. Mm. And on the basis that as two parents, my ex and myself, we both were trying to stay grounded on the children and make sure the children's best interests were served that actually I, I, I think there was a, an understanding that despite all of our differences, we had to be able to, to come together at certain times for the best interests of our children. It's like a web of family, isn't it? They've Absolutely. They've got a broken and then gradually you're yeah. reconnecting all these different strands yeah. deep. How about you? Where are you at now? How how does this connect with you on any level? Um, what people are talking about? So so the, so I'm a single parent. With mm -hmm. I bring uh, have my children who live with me full time. So yeah. um, so I've got the responsibility for making sure that their their needs are all catered for. So it's um, it gives me immense pleasure and joy to be able to be with my children every day and to be able to support them with all the the challenges that life throws at them. Um, I um, I have focused very much on what I need to do for myself. So I'm, as well as working, I also now am studying for a master's degree. Okay. Um, so that's uh, important busy. for me <laughs> because I need to think about my needs oh. and do stuff for myself as well. So What's the master's degree in my It's answer? in HR. Right, yeah. grand. So, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, really excited to be able to sort of professionally develop myself after all these years of devoting myself to the children. Um, I also volunteer with um, charities, and one of the things that's really important for me is uh, to be able to make sure that um, I can connect with as many children or um, out there that don't have, so they don't have to have the same issues that I did with not being able to connect with uh, role models uh, that are LGBT. So I, I volunteer um, as a role model and as a facilitator with ch a great charity called Diversity Role Models. Mm -hmm. um, and their aim is to go into schools around the country to um, um, be able to uh, promote different types of families and different types of relationships um, and to show positive LGBT role models and, el and allies um, who can go and share their stories with with children and it's all made age appropriate so I've had workshops with children as young as five all the way up to the age of 18, 19 wow. um, so it's all made relevant for the age group that we deal with um, so um, and that's immensely um, powerful. Does that feel um, healing in itself? It, yeah it's extremely powerful but it also when I, when I share my story um, it's funny because people have come up to me and say, "Did you see that one Asian girl that was sat in a group full of uh, a room full of white children, when her eyes beamed up when you talked about your comparative, um, you know, uh, growing up?" Um, 
so so there's different parts of my stories that will connect with different people with, yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's really important. Um, I want I want young people to realise that they can be whoever they want, they can do whatever they want. But the main thing that they have to be able to do is to accept themselves for who they are um, and, 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 and love themselves because if you can't love yourselves, there's no way you'll be able to love anybody else. As RuPaul famously says. <laughs> <laughs> Could I ask another question, guys? Have any of your partners got new partners or remarried? Because um, I want to talk a little bit about my situation. Um, my ex-wife has remarried and that has, has taken an awful lot of pressure off me in terms of my feelings of guilt around it. And I just wondered if... If any of you guys have... My ex-wife has um, uh, a new partner and they have a child together. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah fantastic. That, and how does that make you feel? So it makes me very happy because, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the I've caused this problem type of scenario, yeah. the guilt that goes guilt. with it. <laughs> part, of, part of that is, I, you know, I hope I haven't deprived her of happiness um, forever. Um and even if I remain single forever, I'm really, really glad that she's found somebody else to start again with. So that makes me immensely very happy. And a I feel relief as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Because it, for all, you know, that immense feelings of guilt. Annette. And how yeah. does that make you feel? Um, I would like her to have a relationship, mm. but at the same time... Um, I guess it's not my place to work that one out. And I think that's what I'm learning in this process is that I, I can only influence what happens to me. And I, I, I need to step back from feeling responsible. Do you feel responsible people. for it? I have, I have felt very responsible um, in the past. Um, and I still do sometimes, and I fight and struggle with that. And sometimes my, my partner tells me off <laughs> and says, stop feeling responsible. And you, yeah. it's not your job to sort everybody else's life out. Oh, gosh, I know that. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I sit now with, with actually really trying to think, what do I need to do? As, as David was saying, Okay, so I, I've made some big decisions in my life. Things have settled down. Mm. Things have moved forward, and uh, yeah, I'm approaching sixty, and I have another whole life cycle ahead of me. What do I need to do now to just move and prepare myself into that life cycle that's ahead of me, and and focus on on, yeah. on my needs and how I relate, particularly to my children and my my partner now. Yeah. It is difficult, though, isn't it, when you've been so <clears throat> close to somebody and so intimate with them, they understand you really well. You know, they've seen you in all your grief and glory. Um, and I think sometimes there's a sense of responsibility mm. which can curdle into slight resentment because mm. I'm sure there are some relationships in which, in which people could move on, but by staying dependent, the emotionally dependent, it's kind of... You know, there's um, a kind of codependency there a little yeah. bit, mm -hmm. and that's also something one can can yeah. bump up bump up against and can cause resent resentments as well. David, um, my wife is not in a relationship, uh, and I don't think has had a relationship in in the time that we've been separated. Um, I think she did have a, a a relationship in the beginning, but uh, nothing since. 
Um, but it's interesting what you were just saying, Nicholas, about um, you know being on the same wavelength when you've been married to someone and living with someone for however many years. We're still on that same wavelength. Yeah. We still speak as one voice when we're talking about the children. And um, the, 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 the boys often say, oh, you've been talking to mum or you've been talking to dad. But no, we're just on the same page. So we are still very emotionally attached. Right. Um, uh, Could that be, uh, let me press you on this, yeah. could that be what's preventing her from moving forward? Possibly, I don't know. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm not here to speak on her no, behalf. No, abso absolutely, no. Um, I would like her to find someone and be happy. Um, and when she's not in a good mood, I do get that feeling, you know, like Arnett was alluding to, that is this because... Uh. You know, I know you're not happy or I know something's wrong. And if I was here with you, could I make that right? But I can't live her life for her. Um, and, you know, as much as I, I want her to be happy, I want my children to be happy, yeah. you know, uh, and they have to make their own choices and their own decisions. It's so difficult. But of course, the other factor is if you met someone, you know, then that could al that would alter the, the dynamic yes. as well. Yes, yeah. I'm sure it would. Yeah. I'm sure it would. Uh, and that's, again, you know, part of the whole process. It's not It's not cut and dry. It's not. There's no rule book, is there? There's, there's no, no rule there's book. No, there's no manual. No. Doesn't, you don't come on a manual. manual. No. And, you know, there's, and, and yet there are, interestingly enough, because um, you've done some tantric work, I got, there were some very great ground rules that Tantra taught me about relationships, which have been useful, but there is no manual. My ex has remarried. And it is obviously a, a huge relief to me. Even when we were kind of splitting up, she was trying to see people. And I was caught in that slightly odd position of, you know, there was one time a relationship went terribly wrong and she was very upset. And of course, I was the one who rushed out to pick her up and bring her back. And in a strange sort of way, we had a slightly rational discussion about, you know, ideas around fidelity and relationships and all of those things, which we were unable to have when I was talking about my own mm. issues, but when it happened to her, we were able to sit down and do that. And I was pleased to do that, but at the same time, I recognized that actually, you know what, I needed to separate myself from it. And gradually that's what happened. I think physical separation obviously helped as well. Um, I went to, a, went to a counselor and she said that some relationships are, to, you know, we have, have you ever been in a toxic relationship? I think we know what that means. Um, but some relationships are healing and that actually your active relationship with that person is is healing. And it sounds like you have that with your mm. partner. And I certainly feel I have that with my husband. Um, I got married back in 2014, um, six months uh, after the it was made legal. Uh, and um, it was a wonderful event. And my my children. Uh, came came to that and all my friends. It was a very different sort of marriage to the one I had it back in 1989 when I first got married. Um, and it kind of, as a little snapshot, it kind of symbolised how we've moved on. Um, I just wanted to ask you one last thing, which is if you're looking back now, guys, looking back, is there anything that you would have told your younger self going through this process? I know this is one of those questions. <laughs> yeah. What would you have said? Or what could, advice could you give deep? You're giving me that look. I think you know. I think you, what, would you, what would you have said to your younger self? <clears throat> so 
Um, so when I look back, um, I if I, would I do anything differently? No, I wouldn't, because the journey that I've taken is what's made me. So going back um, and talking to the, the younger me, I just say, you know, believe in yourself, um, uh, keep your networks, support networks close by, because the people that have been around me have been tremendous in my life in, in keeping me completely So friendship grounded. is really important. And family. Yeah, friendship and family, yeah. loyalty, yeah. and and yes. Um, and what was it? Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. That's a tough one, isn't it? Always. How do we create, how can we create that self-belief? But more about self-belief so, yeah, so you need that? to make sure that i mean before i used to just spread myself to try and be there for everybody um and focus on everybody else um and i was the reliable one that was always you know going yeah. to you'll go there. to go to d yeah I'll sort, I'll sort it all out um and i've realized actually i can't do that because mm. i can only spread myself so thin uh, but, and actually before i start doing that i need to be able to look after myself first so i think it's around uh, you know, believing believing in myself in the set, in terms of I am able to do whatever I want to do, but also I need to be aware of the constraints as well. Exactly. Just because you can yeah. do all of those things doesn't necessarily mean to say that you will do them. I had a very good friend who said, when the air when the aircraft when the aircraft goes down, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself mm -hmm. first yes. before you can help yeah. anybody else. That's a really good analogy, actually. It's yeah. a, about looking for yourself, caring for yourself first before others. Fantastic. Arnett. Mm. The words that are in my mind when you ask that question is I should learn to be kinder to myself. How can we be kinder to ourselves, guys? Because I really think this yeah. is something that it's, we're fantastically yeah. bad at. It's, it's about giving space for myself, um, not feeling that I have to solve everything for everybody. And not even feeling that I have to solve everything for myself straight away. So my decision to buy the house that I bought mm. was about me trying to get my life back on track. There was a kind of there was a kind of need to, to yeah. kind of rush that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, maybe what I should have just done was just gone off on holiday for three months. You know what? They say after a major bereavement, do not make any ma major exactly. life decisions. And yeah. a major bereavement takes about three years. Yeah. Um, and But I think that we do rush into these mm. uh, decisions, don't we? Because you want to... I think as men, we have a very fix-it attitude. Mm. This is a project. I'm going to fix it if I do this, this, and yeah. this. Well, um, actually, doing nothing yeah. could be right. the best And thing. it's interesting because last year for various reasons I didn't have very much work and I spent a, a lot of time away in Bali and I had a lot of time on my own to sit and to think and in that space I, I, I learnt a lot about myself and you know, that brings me back now to, to what I said earlier about what I really understand that I need to do now is is actually look after myself because only in looking after myself can actually I be really present for the people that I love around me. And you know one kindness? Kindness is what we're doing right now mm. by sitting and listening to your individual stories and bearing testimony to those stories mm. is creating a space to reflect what everybody has said, and it's been very, very, very moving, and a real honour and privilege. David, 
So talking about what I yeah. tell how my younger you help self. Your younger self, sweetheart. My younger self. Uh, Buy that Bowie 12-inch single yeah, that yeah. you didn't get in the, in the sale. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Now, you probably have all of them, don't you? So yeah. that's no worry about that. Huge Bowie fan. Yeah. Um, he was so wrapped up in how other people perceived him and what other people thought of me yeah. in my voice. Um yeah, and, you know, the fear of losing friends or uh, not coming up to expectations and um, not fulfilling some ideal. Um, it's all nonsense, really, you know, because yeah. at the end of the day, and I think you spoke about this just now, that, you know, going on holiday uh, after a bereavement or after a big yeah. breakup is probably the best thing. Um because time will eventually sort things out, strangely enough. And I think, you know, we worry so much about the here and now and what can I do to fix this? And, you know, where's the, where's the next paycheck coming from? Am I going to have enough money? Blah, 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 blah. Um, when actually, if you just take a step back and let life, you know, take its course, very often it will and sort the, itself out. The universe out. will respond. And usually, and I think... Uh, for me, anyway, we, you know, in my family situation, uh, we've all ended up in a better place, I think, now than when we were when we were married, um, because it, you know, it, it would have turned into a, a, a dark and loveless relationship um, had it not ended when it did. So, and I think we probably would have ended up not being friends. So I think the fact that we are very good friends now. Uh, leading our lives that we should have been leading at the time is a good thing, and we've got two fantastic kids out of it. That's the, the, the kind of the point I think I'd like to end on, our amazing children who are all off in the world or wherever they're at doing think amazing things. That's the other thing, I think, as dads. About which we are, I'm absurdly, childishly, <laughs> hog-whimperingly proud of, yeah. you know, and and slightly amazed <laughs> but i think as dads we also think that we have to be there all the time and we will be there all the time forever but there comes a point when you have to let them go mm. and let them go off and do their journey uh, which is great it's fantastic and and you obviously hope that you give them the foundations and the building blocks to be able to do that absolutely building them to have those and yeah. lead those independent lives yeah. amazing um my wife once said to me the time to be happy is now and I think possibly a good way to end this is just to say the time to be kind to yourself, guys, is now. Not tomorrow, mm. not the day after, but right now. Uh, and continue to be kind as you work out uh, your own journey. I want to thank David. I want to thank Arnett. I want to thank Deep. I want to thank our wonderful producer, Richard. And I want to thank you all, guys and ladies, and whoever is still making up their mind for listening to us. This has been Rainbow Dads. Goodbye. Patience, 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 patience.